All right, all right. Well, it's good uh, to be back with you this week. Did anything happen while I was out of town? A couple of billionaires launched themselves into space for no reason. That happened this week. Uh, we can all get on board with criticizing them, can't we? Uh, we're all on the same page. Um, no, it's good to be back uh, with you this week. Uh, and today we're going to begin a new series we're calling Pursuing the Way. Now, Pursuing the Way is, uh, apart from being the name of this sermon series, is the first part of our kind of mission statement as a church, Pursuing the Way of Jesus and Proclaiming He is Lord. And my hope for the next four weeks the last kind of stretch of summer here is that we can focus in a little bit on what it means to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to be someone who makes the proclamation that Jesus is Lord and sets their heart and their intention behind this idea of pursuing his way, of actually going about the business of following him. Now, you heard in our teaching text for today that Jesus does say, I want you to go into all of the world and make disciples and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then he promises uh, a very particular and important promise there, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a beautiful little passage, but it is one that we don't always understand very well, particularly because this concept of being a disciple of Jesus is one that, it's a word that I think if you've been around church for any amount of time you're familiar with, but in Jesus's context had a very specific application. A disciple was an actual thing in his day. A disciple was tended to be a young person devoted, who devoted the entirety of their life to, the, to a way of life that was taught by a rabbi. There were entire rabbinic schools of disciples, people who would literally follow these rabbis along as they went and taught. Now, what's interesting is that while these disciples wanted to learn the teaching or the way that this rabbi interpreted scripture, it was more than just the application of head knowledge. It was more, about, more than just about memorizing the scriptures, which they did in ways that you and I are completely unfamiliar with. Most of these people, if they were following a rabbi, probably had the entirety of what we call the Old Testament memorized by the time they were done, which good luck trying to do that, right? Uh, the iPhone has rendered memorization totally uh, null and void, right? But they, these disciples of these rabbis would follow them around, and, but they weren't just attempting to learn head knowledge. They were also attempting to pattern their life after the way of life of the rabbi. This is in part why the disciples come up to Jesus and ask him to teach them to pray, because it was very common that the, the disciples of a rabbi would also model their very prayer life, the way they prayed after their rabbi. And so it was not just the application of head knowledge. It was not just something they believed, but rather it was an entire way of life. They wanted to emulate the manner of life that the rabbi taught as well on top of just acquiring knowledge. And here's where we run into a problem in our day. Dallas Willard calls the problem that I hope to outline here this morning uh, the great omission in the Great Commission. It, and here's the thing. Notice that Jesus calls his disciples to go into all the world and to make more disciples. He does not call them to make converts. 
He does not call them to make Christian culture. He does not call them to go and make a group of people who vote all the same way. He calls them to go and make disciples. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And here's the thing that I saw. During the pandemic, I saw this really unsettling trend in Christianity, this desire to make converts but not disciples. And one of the ways that I saw it described most explicitly was in, uh, um, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but whenever you go on a website, so um, at the church here, we use waste management. And, and from time to time, I need to schedule the pickup of our garbage. And one of the options that's given for me, usually in the right-hand side of the column, is a, is a chat box. Anybody familiar with these chat boxes? And it says, chat with one of us. That's not a person. Did you know that? That is a, that is a robot right? That is a chat bot. That is a, like a, a quasi-artificial intelligence that you chat with and that is, has been programmed to convince you that that's a person, right? Um, now, I saw during the pandemic, as many churches were going online and online church became a word that people used, that uh, people began developing software, chat bot software for churches, and the point of this chatbot software, one of them was called ePaul that I ran into the other day, <laughs> was to you was the purpose of it, and, and I'm just going to read it. ePaul, uh, who responds to users with conversational and understanding voice, lives on uh, lives on the internet or within Facebook Messenger, and it draws from a curated database of shareable content. Now, the the pur- the purpose of ePaul was to get people saved. A a computer bot was programmed to witness to people. I agree. Uh, now, Now, here is the thing. Something has gone wrong, right? With our definite, with our definition of what It means to make disciples if we are creating artificial intelligences in order to get people to make commitments that aren't even flesh and blood. When I saw the stuff about the chatbot, I was just so discouraged on a number of levels. You know, and here's the thing that I've been seeing. We in American culture have kind of bled dry this idea of being a disciple of Jesus. We know that we want people to think certain things or believe certain things, but we have reduced what it means to be a follower of Jesus down to like an intellectual transaction. And we have removed from the definition that Jesus gave his disciples in our teaching text for today the impetus or the force behind it, that of discipleship. Yes, you need to believe some things in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Yes, you have to have an existential encounter with the risen Christ. That's good too. But it is not only belief. It is not only assent to a certain set of principles. It is rather a deep-seated reality, a commitment of one's life, an orientation that draws us continually to Jesus. Jesus offers us 
an invitation to follow after or to pursue his way of life. And a Christian is a disciple or an apprentice or a student who has directed their focus in that, in that way, who has committed the whole of their lives to be, in essence, like Jesus. But American Christianity, and I don't mean to be too harsh, has reduced all of this to a kind of chatbot version of what it means to be a Christian. Just say the prayer, just assent to a couple theological truths, and go merrily on your way. You know, the last time I saw uh, a decent poll, I think it was Pew Research did it in 2019, but it said that 65% of American people cl claim to be Christians in the world. Um, and by that, they mean 65% 65, 65 of people, you know, write on a piece of paper that they, uh, they're Christian or that they, they believe in Jesus. And, you know, I'm not here to, tell any, to invalidate what anybody thinks about themselves or anything like that. But if we had 65% of uh, the American society were actually little Jesuses, right, pursuing the way of Jesus, learning to live like him, learning to take on his character, his love, his purpose in the world, then it's quite possible that things in our society would look a little different than they look right now, isn't it? You see, I'm convinced that if the American church is going to exist in any way, shape, or form, if it's going to stem the tide of the loss of credibility that it, has have, that it has currently and it has had for a number of years, what we need is a renewal of this call to discipleship. What we need is a renewal of people who, who come to Jesus, not as a get-out-of-hell-free card, but rather as a rabbi, as the Lord, as one who we actually follow. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, to believe on Jesus is the door to the life that Jesus promises for us. It's the first step. It's not the last step. And be belief is not the end point. It is the entrance into a whole new kingdom existence. And when you read the teachings of Jesus, this idea is simply all over the place. It's everywhere, isn't it? He calls his disciples to follow him. He says, take up my cross and follow, or take up your cross and follow me. He says, take upon your shoulders my yoke, which was a literal term in that day and age of what a, a rabbi described his teaching, right? And then, obviously, we have the Great Commission in this passage. It's pretty clear. Jesus is not after fans. He's not after admirers. He's not after even believers. He is after disciples. And that has implications for the way we live our lives. And I'm convinced, again, that if the church in America is going to have any viable future, we need a reawakening of what it means of this call to Jesus to be disciples, to follow him in a disciplined and deliberate way with intention. You see, we need to deepen our roots down. And American evangelicalism has been reduced to a kind of chatbot Christianity. Now, this all sounds strenuous, doesn't it? Like, oh gosh, I came to church and Nick's telling me to do a bunch of stuff, right? Now it's, now it's time to do a bunch of work. And I don't want it to sound strenuous. I don't think it does. I think part of the reason it sounds strenuous when I use this language is we've been preconditioned 
by a kind of uh, a kind of religious moralism that set, that taught, that wants to conform the outside or the external nature of our lives, our moral behavior as we exist out in the world, but doesn't isn't quite as concerned with our heart. You see, too many of us have been in environments or have been raised in environments where uh, moral conformity is number one, and the heart becomes something that we don't worry about as much. But the way of Jesus is totally backwards to that, and because it's backwards to that, it's completely and utterly freeing. Here's how uh, I put it on screen. I think we have a slide. Bad religion is conformity to external rules without internal change. Pursuing the way of Jesus is grace-added practices which lead us to the transformation of the heart. You see, this bad religion that I'm talking about is a, is a, is a system of standards of behavior that determines who's in and who's out, right? So if you act like me, you're in, and if you don't act like me, you're out. And I really don't care what's happening on the inside of you so long as you conform externally. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees, right? When he says, the outside of your cup is clean, but I wouldn't want to drink out of what you put inside of it, right? But pursuing the way of Jesus is a little bit different than that. It's, it's focused, and Jesus talks about this often, first and foremost, on the transformation of one's heart. So it doesn't have to do necessarily with getting all of your ducks in the row from the get. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't start with external, uh, exter- bringing your external life into order. Rather, it begins with a deliberate choice empowered by the Holy Spirit to take conscious and concrete steps in the way of Jesus, to live his life the way he lived it, and to live it in relationship or communion with him. You see, the true power of the gospel is not in its ability to conform our external behavior, but rather to transform our hearts over time and through process so that our external behavior begins to change, but only as a byproduct of what is already happening on the inside. You see, it, it, and, but this is true nonetheless. In order to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to be transformed, one must do what Jesus did. One must live life like Jesus lived it. Again, what's he say in verse 20? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, we learn on the Sermon on the Mount the story of how Jesus lived, or the, or the teaching, or his yoke, or his, his new commandments, his way of life that he says leads to a flourishing life. It's not about earning God's favor. Rather, it's about stepping into the reality that God has made available for us in the person of Jesus. You see, to be Christ's disciple is not to earn our salvation, but it is to receive the promise that Christ has, holds out for us. It's about learning, in the language of Eugene Peterson, the unforced rhythms of God's grace and allowing those unforced rhythms to transform our inner life. And so you might be asking, and we'll get into this in the coming weeks, what are, the pra- what are some of the practices that you're talking about? What does it actually mean to live like Jesus? Well, here's a couple. I'm just going to list them. There's silence, there's solitude, there's simplicity, there's prayer, there's giving, there's community, there's confession, there's serving the poor. 
All of these are things that Jesus did as a means of revealing what the kingdom of God was like, and we are called as Jesus' disciples to do those same things. But again, you might be saying, Nick, this is contrary to what I've been told. I've been told that I'm saved by grace through faith, and it is through no works of my own, and to that I say, absolutely correct. You don't change your heart. And here's the analogy that I've, that I've come to believe is kind of effective here. We have to learn to live in the rhythms of God's grace, like I said, but the way we do that is the, the way we, we do that is by simply making ourselves available to the work of God. Have any of you ever been on a sailing ship? Raise your hand. Any of you have been? No, very few sailors. That's okay. We're, we live in Iowa. <laughs> There's not any big bodies of water around here. True story, I was in college and I was a little aimless. Uh, I was just working for a guy and I didn't, and Ashley and I had broken up and it was bad. Uh, and I was depressed and I called and I was cleaning this medical facility and I looked up at one of the doctor's offices and there was a picture of a sailing ship. And I said, I gotta get to the sea. <laughs> and so I called, and so I called this person who was a friend of my mom's who had a charter ship in the, in the Caribbean, and I said, can I come work on your boat? And they said, absolutely not. And so I didn't, I didn't go to the sea. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I, that's not in my notes. It's just here. Um, so if you're on a ship, if you're on a sailing ship, what makes a sailing ship go? The wind, correct. The conditions have to be right, don't they, in order, in order for a, a sailing ship to go. But in order to catch the wind, what do you have to do? You have to set the sail. You have to create the proper conditions by which when the wind blows, you can actually harness the power of that wind and make a difference, right? You actually move the ship. Nothing is sadder than those movies about the ocean where there's no wind and they're just sitting, right? And here's what I think spiritual disciplines and the practices that I just listed are. I think they're setting the sail. You see, there will be days when you pray or you read the scriptures or you practice simplicity, or you set aside a day to engage in this practice of silence and solitude. There will be days when you will come to church and to engage in community, or you, or you serve people where it doesn't feel like the wind is blowing, right? Where the grace of God doesn't feel like it's carrying you along quite like it had before. But the responsibility of a follower of Jesus is not to make things happen, but rather to send up the sail, to be ready, to, to create a life where the conditions are, where we make our lives available to God via the conditions we create in them. And this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this is why we take on spiritual practices like the reading of Scripture and like prayer, like solitude and silence. It's why the great uh, heroes of the faith had prayer lives that are admirable, not because by virtue of their praying they earned anything or they acquired some, it's not like a video game where they level up their spirituality. It's rather about the ability to be available to the grace of God when it moves us, to the love of God when it touches us, to the Spirit of God when it blows on our lives. 
You see, to learn the unforced rhythms of God's grace, to, to learn to live in these patterns of discipleship is not to earn God's favor. But grace is, not, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to our effort. And occasionally we have to raise the sails of our lives and be available. And here's the thing that I've learned. When I don't raise the sails, there is no wind, right? But when I do, when I do order and structure my life in such a way as that, it, and it doesn't have to be a Herculean amount of time, but I, I structure my life in such a way as that I make myself available to the work of God or to the, to the move of the Spirit in my life, what then happens is that from time to time the wind does blow and I am changed and I am transformed and my heart is molded in a sense. You see, this is how we're, we were created to live. It's the, it's the engine of our lives was supposed to be this wind of God's grace and of his spirit and his, of his love that blows on our lives. But if we can't discipline our lives enough to make ourselves available to us, God will at times be sovereign and just knock on our door until we can't resist him any longer. That happens. But the regular and routine life of a disciple of Jesus is one in which we make ourselves available to him. And as we make ourselves available to him, things do happen. Not all the time, right? Sometimes prayer is boring. I'm not, I'm not supposed to say that, but I, I will. Sometimes, sometimes the things that we do to cultivate hearts that look like Jesus don't always feel like the thing we should be doing in that moment. But as we make ourselves available, as we throw up the sail of our lives and we make ourselves available to the blowing of the grace and love of God in our lives, things happen and change. This is how uh, Eugene, uh, excuse me, Dallas Willard says it. He says, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by such character traits as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. From the inward character of the deeds of love, then naturally, but supernaturally and transparently flow. Of course, there will always be room for improvement, so we need not worry about the fact that we will become perfect. Our aim is, a per, is to be pervasively possessed by Jesus through constant companionship with him, like our brother Paul, who said, this one thing I do, I press on towards the goal that I may know Christ. You see, the goal of the Christian disciple is to be ever more, this word is funny, right, possessed or controlled or not without our, um, not without our volition, but transformed into the image or person of Jesus, the image of who Jesus is. We were called, the church is called to be little Christ out there in the world, living like he lived, patterning, patterning our life after his way of life. And I love this phrase that, that, that Willard uses here at the end. Our aim is to be pervasively possessed by Jesus through constant companionship with him. Now, there's, a two, there's two sides to this thing called being a disciple of Jesus. The first is to do what Jesus did, but the second is simply to be with him, to be with him, to be near him in, in such a way as that we learn his personality. It sounds like a funny thing, doesn't it? 
But central, core to, the, to Christian belief is that Jesus is a person to whom you can relate. The scriptures tell us that he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And we can do the work of prayer and solitude and silence and simplicity, and we can serve the poor. We can do all of these activities, but if it's devoid of the personal presence of Jesus, then it's not Christianity, right? It's something else. It's hiking, right? Or whatever it is for you. And the invitation of Jesus is this two-handed invitation, both to follow and to do, and that's a vitally important piece, but also to be in relational connection to the person of Jesus, to actually relate to him in your being or in your person. And we cannot remove or downplay the importance of what it is to simply be with Jesus. Sometimes some of us, and this is the exception, not the rule usually, get so busy working for Jesus that we, we stop being with him. And the importance of being with Jesus is so very vital because it's exactly the thing that our hearts long to do. You see, in the presence of Jesus, our hearts are transformed. In the presence of Jesus, our lives are reordered and restructured and rightly uh, put in place. In the presence of Jesus, our lives begin to cohere and make a sense that they had never made before. And the invitation to discipleship is an invitation to literally follow Jesus and to do what he did. The, the Sermon on the Mount is not some like, is not just a, a teaching that we're not supposed to follow. It actually, there's actually transforming initiatives, things within the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus actually asks us to do. So I'm going to give you a bag after this, and you're going to have to go two miles. But, uh, no. But the point of it being, without, uh, without the personal presence of Jesus in our lives, this process of discipleship isn't ever going to take. And so, Olivia and Joss, if you could come up. And so this morning, the, this is just an introductory message, and we'll get into the, we'll get into the uh, more detail as we go. But here's what I want us to do this morning. Just in the simplicity of our hearts and with, 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 a, with a, just a subtle openness to the person of, of Jesus this morning. That uh, we all go through seasons, right? We all go through times in our lives where the walking with Jesus feels easy. And we go through seasons where walking with Jesus feels difficult. Anybody with me? Right? Those are natural and normal things. But one, th one thing that we've been taught is that the way we feel in the moment is the thing that should drive or determine what our lives look like or the things we should do, right? And part of the wisdom of the scriptures and the wisdom of Christian tradition down through the ages is that our feelings are important and good and we shouldn't devalue them. But there is a time and a place where we need to allow our feelings to be subsumed under what we know to be true, right? For a period of time. And then what naturally ends up happening is, as our, our feelings are, uh, our feelings then come into line with what we know to be true. Our feelings come into line with the truth. Uh, I'm going to ride Ragbri for one day on Thursday. And I was like, oh, I got to get some miles in. Otherwise, this is not going to be a good day. And so I needed to ride a couple days uh, yesterday and Friday. And I, uh, I said to Ashley, like, I don't want to do this today, right? 
I got to catch up on Loki. Um, I, there's other stuff I need to do. And, and what I, what I, I eventually win because I am afraid of cramps in a week. But, uh, but my feelings eventually came into line, right, with what I knew to be the right thing. And that's a stupid little analogy, but it happens to be true in the spiritual life as well. As we follow Jesus and we learn to get close to him and as we take on his way of life and as we commit uh, be, beyond the place of just my momentary feelings to pursue his way, to follow him, to be his disciple, what ends up happening is that my feelings very often, even if there are seasons where they're a little off track, will eventually come back into line. And what I need to do is to purpose in my heart and to make the proclamation that Jesus is the Lord of my life and I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to be his disciple. And what happens in that moment when we really purpose for that is that vistas of, of life and love and possibility kind of open to us. I think part of our issue is that when we read those passages where Jesus says that to know him is like to have streams of living water that flow out of your belly, we hear things like that and we're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. There are no living water streams anywhere near me, right? Like, like my insides feel like Iowa looks on the outside right now, right? Just like kind of dry and in need of a little moisture. But the truth of the matter is, is that as, as we make our way to Jesus and as we purpose in our heart to live in his pattern of life, we do take on his easy yoke. And we do have a, a life of abundance and possibility and hope and love that open to us. And we will be transformed from the inside out. So if you'd stand with me this morning. And just as we go, my hope for each and every one of us, my, my hope for myself, is that we would all grow this year to become a people of love for the sake of others, not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of others. And that we would learn what it means to be Jesus' disciple and that we would take on his pattern of life a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and that and that, that practice and that, that intention and that direction would transform our lives but also the lives of everyone around us. That's my hope, that we would continue on this path of pursuing the way of Jesus and proclaiming he is Lord to the extent that we can look back a year from now and say, I'm a different person not because of my own effort, not because of my own striving, but because I simply threw up the sail and the winds of God's love and his grace carried me someplace, right? So let's pray. Let's pray to that end this morning. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Jesus, for bringing us here together today on this last Sunday of July. And we pray, God, that you would help us to follow you, to follow you with the whole of our being, with, with our intention and with our attitude and with the whole of our lives, that we would be people who follow after your way, that we would be called your disciples, that we would pursue what it means to live in the abundance of the love and grace of God by following Jesus. Would you make us a people who actively position ourselves in such a way as that we would learn to live in the rhythms of your grace and that we would not see this as a striving or a craving or a, or a control thing but God but rather that we would simply 
be called to a place where we can create the natural conditions in our lives where your spirit could blow on us from time to time and transform us. Jesus, we thank you for your life, for your death, and your resurrection. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for being for us what we could not be for ourselves. And we know that you will be with us even to the end of the age. And so we have confidence that as we set off on this journey of what it means to be followers of Jesus, you'll be with us, even in the midst of it. Jesus, we love you, and we dedicate our hearts and our minds to you today and this week. Would you have your way in us? And we pray it all in that name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being here. It was good to see you. Uh, if you brought a gift, you can place it in the box on your way out. Uh, would you talk to some people before you leave? Because that's vital. Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.